welcome to the first podcast of uh, 2017, the first Bike Pack Canada podcast. Uh, Sarah and I were in Ontario the last few weeks, uh, didn't have a bike, but uh, I always use the opportunity when we're out east to uh, put in some uh, jogging miles and uh, mix up the routine a little bit. Uh, quite often it's it's warmer uh, right around Lake Ontario where we lived uh, for the last five years and uh, where her parents still are. So I think I got in like 300 kilometers uh, during that time. And it was actually, um, you know, other than mixing up the routine, it was a, it was a great opportunity to listen to a bunch of new uh, podcasts. And that's something that I'm really big into. And you know, you learn different interview styles and you, you learn what, you know, people like to chat about and what people like to listen to. So on the cycling front, um, I really got into uh, Lance Armstrong's uh, forward podcast, you know, say what you will about him as, as an athlete and what he's done. But you know, he's 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 got a very distinct interview style. And because of what he's done, it's it's given him uh, some interesting access to a lot of uh, interesting uh, interview. So uh, Lance Armstrong's Ford, uh, great podcast, and then also uh, Mountain Bike uh, Radio, uh, which we'll get into a bit more. Um, and uh, you know, I'll dovetail right into our interview today. It's with our buddy Neil Belchenko from uh, Crested Butte, Colorado. Uh, I first met Neil on the Tour Divide in in 2015. Uh, he went on to a third place finish, uh, a heated finish, a battle between him, uh, Josh Cato and, and G- Jay Peterberry that lasted all the way until the final paved stretch uh, in Antelope Wells, which which boggles anyone's minds who, who was following. It's it's crazy to think that, you know, three people could race that distance and, and it really just came down to a, a sprint finish. Um, and then in October uh, this past year, we had... Uh, Neil and his uh, fiance Lindsay up for the bike pack summit. Uh, they were two of our featured guest riders, uh, chatting about uh, their experiences, not only racing and and touring, but uh, uh, sharing their perspective uh, from um, their own pet project, which is uh, bikepacker dot com. Um, for those for those in the know, it's it's kind of one of the big go to resources for our community, um, especially for daily. Uh, daily news which is which is pretty rare actually so it's a really great resource and then um what else what else can i say about neil well neil has made quite a name for himself the past few years uh, on the racing scene of course and it was crazy i was looking back on some of his accomplishments just from 2016 it's crazy Here, here's a few uh, i'll run through them so he, he set a new arizona trail record uh which was six and a half days um previously held by uh, Kurt Refsnyder, which to me, having done that trail, I, I still have, have, have a hard time wrapping my head around that one. Um, he set a new Colorado trail, uh, uh, ITT record after he had to pull out the race, uh, due to mechanical. And that was three days, 19 hours. Um, and then also set the fastest time on the Comstock Epic, which I believe is a newer race. It's a 500 mile race across uh, Nevada on the Trans Nevada uh, Trail, and uh, so yeah, Neil and I will be chatting today about um, some more bike packing um, events, specifically the bike packing Triple Crown, maybe a little bit about Bike Packer, and a whole host of randomness. 
And uh, to get things started, I, I thought I, I thought I'd lead with a fun fact. Uh, Neil, did you know that there uh, there's a temperature where both degrees Celsius and Fahrenheit meet up, and that's that is ironically mi- minus forty degrees. And uh, ah. I, I heard I heard you have some experience with that temperature. Oh man! Well, Ryan, thanks for uh, having me today, and <clears throat> happy New Year to you. Um, yeah, so I just took on the uh, the fat pursuit where we think we're pretty sure um, the low got to negative forty, and some are saying it got below negative forty. Um, I didn't have a temperature gauge on my bike, but a bunch of people did, and they definitely saw negative like thirty eight and um, negative thirty nine. So. Um, it was a uh, it was a very very cold experience. One that I had to uh, withdraw my uh, name from the race because I was ill prepared for um, for those temperatures. the uh, The low for Island Park, which is where the start was, was negative eleven, um, <clears throat> and so I was definitely pre- prepared for that. I was prepared for negative twenty, um, but when it dips beyond that. Um, it's a whole new ball game, and uh, and I learned from it, which is uh, always a good experience. So you're not the only one to, to have to pull out of that. It, was it something like 40 or 50 started, and only – was it four or five finished? So the 200-mile race um, starts at 5 p.m. on Friday, um, and then there's a 200-kilometer race that starts the following morning on Saturday. Uh, there was only one 200-mile racer that finished this year. Um, everybody else DNF'd, which is pretty incredible. Um, Aaron, I can't remember his last name right now, but he um, he bivvied that evening when it was really cold, and that, I guess, just helped him get through. And he, I mean, he was just, yeah, it, it, obviously his time wasn't as, va- as you know, very, very fast, but um, it was persistent. I think he finished in like 57 hours or something like that. Um, so yeah, one 200 miler finished. And then I think three or four 200, I think it was four uh, 200 kilometer um, racers finished. Hmm. Yeah, I know uh, we had at least one Canadian rider down there who who you would have met actually, uh, Greg Van Yeah, Teague, yeah. He, uh, I believe he had to pull out uh, also, unfortunately, but it sounds like you guys... Uh, made the 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 smart decision uh, for sure. It's I think you know I have little experience, but uh, enough to know that things go sideways pretty quick in those temperatures. Yeah, I think I made the definitely made the smart decision. Um, but at the same time, it's it's frustrating to drop out of any race. Um, I'm heading up to Alaska to do the uh, the Iditarod Trail Invitational 150 mile version and. It's been a pretty pretty cold year up there um, so far, so I definitely need to be prepared for negative forty. So I've got a lot of work to do in the uh, the coming weeks here. So that race is uh, towards the end of February, is that right? Yep, I think it starts February Sunday, February twenty fourth, if that's correct. Okay. Sometime around, yeah. So what do you you know for interesting learning experience? What do you like what were kind of some of the key takeaways from the, the Jay's fat pursuit? And, and so what do you need to do from, from now basically until the, the Iditarod to get ready or, or change up? Yeah. Um, I guess probably the number one thing is, um, focusing on a new boot system. 
I've been using the 45 North Wolf hammers for the past um, three years, uh, and I've last year at the new version. They are a great boot, but they definitely do not um, do not work in uh, sub twenty um, temperatures. They'll work in like teens and um, you know negative ten and negative teens, but um, once it dips down to like negative twenty, it's just it's a new ball game. So I have to work on I have to work on purchasing a new boot. I don't know what boot that's going to be quite yet. And I also want to kind of um, test the vapor barrier system a little bit. I haven't really I want I wanted to test that before this race, but I just didn't have time with the holidays and and everything like that. So the boot system is number one. Um, I was ill prepared. I didn't bring enough. Um, I didn't bring like a, a nice warm mitten underneath my pogies. Pogies work really really well, and I kind of just thought, oh, negative four, you know, they would work in any temperatures. So I still only had like a medium thick glove underneath the pogies and my hands on some of the descents um, early morning when it was like really, really cold. I couldn't even feel them at all. So definitely bringing, you know, uh, just some extra gear that you never know you're going to use, but just having it, you know, it'll give you a little bit more peace of mind. Um, so that, that's a big one. And then just trying to figure out like my forearms got really cold. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out how to keep those warm without putting on another layer on my core. My core was warm the whole time with my layer system, but my arms and my forearms were very chilly. I had to like take them out of my pogies and like, you know, ring, ring my hand out to bring the blood down, down the arm. And, um, so that's another, that's another struggle and challenge that I'm trying to work on. But other than that, I mean, my water didn't freeze, um, except I had a water bottle on the outside of my, um, their down tube. So that obviously froze. Um, but my water system, my bladder system didn't freeze. Um, my tubal system didn't fail at negative 40, which I'm really pretty excited about. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things, a lot of small things that I just kind of have to kind of figure out. So I'm curious, I, I saw a picture of it on, on Bikepacker, but, uh, so it was someone's bag with a, a thermometer or a measure or a temperature gauge on it. Is it, yep. you, you mentioned that there was more than one person carrying that. Is that just... Like, is that a tool that gets used or like, is it just a novelty? Like what, explain that. One. I think, um, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. I think a lot of people have a system where, you know, when it gets a certain temperature, they'll put on a different layer. Um, and so they can look at that temperature gauge to me. I think, um, it would just distract me from what I'm doing. Um, it's just another thing on my handlebars. I think it's a really cool, um, you know, tool to use for some people, but I, I don't, I don't really want to get one because I think it, it would be a little bit distracting. Um, but at the same time, you know, this year having one, it kind of would have been, uh, it would have been, it would have been pretty interesting to see and, and kind of watch as uh, as the temperature dipped down. But a lot of people, a lot of people had them and that one was, a lot of people have, um, 
digital ones on their GPS, and I don't know how accurate those are, but the one that Mike Barclow had on his bike, that that photo that you saw, um, that's just, yeah, like a, a standard uh, temperature gauge, a really mini one, and I think those probably work best. Hmm. So, uh, you know, talk, speaking of being prepared for the elements, is it pretty safe to say that, uh, you know, uh, winter fat biking races compared to summer races like there's not really much discussion like the the weight weenie discussion doesn't really factor in in the winter like i i imagine it's kind of like carry everything in the kitchen sink is that the case yeah and so that's that was kind of a realization i had after i didn't finish this race like you know you can kind of translate bikepacking and winter ultras but at the same time uh not a good idea um there it's a whole different ball game it's something that um is kind of it was kind of deflating for me um this year because i've done i've done a few of these winter ultras now um and i thought i had it down and i just i just don't um and so yeah that's a good point you know a lot of people to have um you know their sleep system really loose so they can easily you know take it out and pack it um, carrying extra gloves, extra socks, extra buffs, all that stuff, extra layers. Um, that's something that should, you know, people should be doing rather than, um, you know, kind of thinking about, um, doing, you know, pat the, the saying goes, you know, don't pack your fears. Uh, I think you should pack your fears in winter. All it is. It's, uh, it's, there's just too much unknown. Um, and especially a place like, um, Idaho, Wyoming area where weather is just very, uh, unpredictable and forecasts are very inaccurate. Um, I think it's a good idea to pack your fears. So when you, when you had to pull out, uh, you know, what's, what's the setting? Like, I'm, I, I'm not too familiar with, with the course. Is it one big loop? You know, is it, is there is there access at certain checkpoints where someone can drive you back? Like, I, I essentially, I guess I'm, I'm curious. Like, if you need to pull the plug on this sort of thing, how does it compare to, say, on the Iditarod? Yeah, so it's a lot easier on this race than the Iditarod to pull the plug. Um, the Iditarod's a point to point. The Fat Pursuit is a big loop, um, and you're really not ever like super, super, super far off from a town, either Island Park or West Yellowstone. There's a, there's a section in there that you're kind of in between and pretty far out of the backcountry. And I bailed before that point because I knew I didn't want to have to risk, you know, losing my toes and fingers. So what I did, I rode basically 80 miles and there's a turn to the right to go to the first checkpoint, which is like three miles away. And then there's a turn to the left to go in, back into Island Park, which is, I think, another three miles away. Um, so instead of taking that right, I took a left and just basically rode back um, to the start of the race. And I met Jay Peterberry there and he uh, he let me kind of hang out in his, uh, his cabin until... Um, until basically people woke up and I, I found a ride back to uh, to the, the cabin I was renting. But yeah, uh, in general, I mean, it's just very, very difficult to um, to to bail on the ITI um, versus versus the fat pursuit. You, you mentioned that uh, uh, I'm not sure if it's due to the cold from the recent race, but you've had kind of some lingering uh, nerve, possible nerve damage, you said. Yeah, so it, 
it, I didn't have any real nerve damage um, outside of just like, you know, maybe a few numb hands um, or toes like from the Colorado trail race. And those pretty much were, you know, have gone away. But I think going in and out of my toes and hands being so frozen and not being able to feel them and then like somehow, you know, getting enough warm blood back to the extremities and them thawing out and then them freezing again and thawing out. I think I definitely did a number on the nerves and my toes in my, my, my fingers. Um, so if it's anything like, uh, the Colorado trail race nerve damage, it will go away. Um, however, it's definitely the worst I've ever had, especially my right foot. It's just all the toes are, are very numb. Um, and it's, kind of it's kind of scary but more frustrating than anything when it when it gets really cold out i uh um i've definitely just the the foot goes kind of numb um so hopefully uh i can just continue to you know work on just putting uh you know getting blood to those those extremities and just kind of doing little exercises that i would normally do to to uh, get those nerves up and working again um, okay. So yeah, I was curious, like, so you've, you've got the fat pursuit and then the, the Iditarod coming up, um, in late February. And I imagine that the, the training is a little, is different than the summer events. Cause you don't quite have that ability to log long miles. So like at, at this point with these kind of events, do you, are you just kind of more or less trying to hold on to the fitness that you've built up, uh, during the, the warmer months? Is that how it works? Um, not necessarily. I definitely have a training regiment that I'm trying to follow. Um, trying is a key word in that, you know, how it is during the holidays, um, and, and, you know, new year's it's just, and then work, it's just tough to, um, to put the miles in, like you said. So the fat pursuit, I was definitely underprepared, I think, uh, as far as fitness wise, but the same time last year, um, I was as well, just because, uh, because of the time of year. So hopefully I'll be able to get a little bit more time on, um, on the bike, um, prior to the ITI. I'll probably just start next week, um, with my training regiment again. Um, but at the same time, Crested Butte has seen, I think it's, it's over a hundred inches in two weeks and, um, all of our fat biking terrain is non-existent anymore. So it's going to be a little bit of, um, you know, riding on the trainer inside the rollers. Um, and then, you know, doing some, probably some uphill skiing to just keep that fitness and, um, and then some downhill skiing. But yeah, in general, less miles in the winter, um, because the, the miles that, you know, your pedaling are definitely, definitely more difficult on snow. Um, but at the same time, I'm definitely training for, for these races now. Um, and a little of it is, you know, trying to hold on to the fitness I've had over the, um, over the fall, but that kind of fitness, I kind of took it easy and, and healed my body and, and rested. Um, so I don't have, my legs aren't aren't the way they were, um, say you know before the Colorado Trail race. 
Gotcha. So you're juggling that ball. Um, you're juggling a few work balls. I know one of them that I'd be curious to learn more about is, is the bike packer. Um, you know, that's that's not something that you can easily just take a week off from. You know, you've kind of built up a reputation of regular content. And, and, and I saw it firsthand while you were even up in, in Canmore, um, you know, having to, having to get stuff out. So yep. for those that aren't familiar, how long has the site been around for? Um, so we are just over three years now. Um, yeah, which is incredible to, uh, to kind of look back at it's three years of just a lot of content. <laughs> <laughs> what was the, the impetus? What, what, why did you want to start the site? Um, well, Lindsay and I kind of have like a little bit of a background in, um, Lindsay's a graphic designer and, and partial web developer, marketer. She's a, she's a smart lady, so she's kind of the brains behind all the back-end stuff. And I had a little bit of knowledge with the bikepacking world, and I definitely thought that there was a lack of resource at the time. Um, you know, all there was was, you know, a bunch of blogs and then bikepacking.net. So it was just like, all right, let's just try this. We set up a business plan and, and basically, you know, started from scratch and we wanted to just, you know, publish a few articles a week. Um, and it kind of took off from there. People were, people wanted their stories published. And, um, and that was kind of when we decided, all right, we're going to just make this like a community driven online publication. And so we published a bunch of stories. We started getting a bunch of gear in for review. Um, and yeah, it's basically, you know, now we're, we're publishing a, roughly five articles a week. Um, and a lot of it is gear reviews, but we have a lot of stories, um, a lot of inspirational stories. And that's something that I really like, like about our website. Um, and a bunch of videos just because, you know, a lot of people are making videos out there, even if it's just random Joes that are making videos like the article we published today, um, pack rafting in Utah. Um, it's just stuff like that. Just people send us stuff and it's really, uh, just kind of inspiring for us to publish it and kind of share, um, bikepacking knowledge and share, you know, uh, all things bikepacking with, um, the, the few people that are interested in it <laughs> the few but hardy so in in three yeah. in three years what what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen other than you know pack makers sprouting up like weeds like what's what's the biggest changes you've seen in the scene uh since then yeah the pack yeah the bike bag manufacturers are one thing um you know there's been a lot of um bike manufacturers focusing specific bikes on bike packing, um, and trying to drive, um, drive, you know, their, their, their brand into the bike packing world. Um, not necessarily like salsa salsa's kind of owned that for a while, but like, you know, Niner and, and all these other companies that have like specific bikes that they're trying to market, um, to bike packers. So that's definitely been something, um, you know, and also bike bag, and bike packing bike manufacturer partnering. Um, that's something that's really cool. And I hope that that kind of continues over, um, the next few years. Um, and then roots are a big thing. People are really just like enthralled with, um, 
you know, making roots. And I, I am too, like just trying to create and find like a really awesome bike packing route. It's something really cool. But at the same time, I think it, um, I think it, you know, it, it's maybe just as, just as fun to just go out there and, and, you know, make your own route instead of, you know, following somebody else's. Um, but what else, you know, it's just kind of, we're just kind of going with the flow. It's, it's definitely taken on. You, you can see in trade shows. Um, but it, it, it's definitely not taken on very fast, like some other sub industries like the e-bike and the, uh, um, and you know, like gravel riding, that's way bigger. Um, just because bikepacking, it's there's a lot that's involved in it. So if we can make that a little bit more easier for people, then um, we're kind of doing our job, I'd say. Gotcha. So uh, in recent developments, you guys actually just announced uh, uh, your own bike pack summit. Um, for, yep. is it, it's going to be Golden, right? Golden, Colorado? Golden, Colorado, New Terrain Brewing Company. So, yeah, we're really excited. Um, it's uh, Yeah, it's going to be held at a brewery, which is can't beat that um and yeah we're it's going to be similar to similar to what you guys had absolutely there's going to be some industry influencers um you know there's going to be some talk about gear we're going to hopefully get some bike packing bag manufacturers out to talk about how they make their gear and how they've seen the industry evolve um yeah we're still working on, on nailing down um nailing down all those details um but uh, yeah, it should be very exciting. I'm pumped. It's going to be a lot of work for Lindsay and I, but at the same time, it's going to be pretty pretty darn rewarding. Um, and it's going to be the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th that weekend in September. Cool. And the, for those keeping score at home, <clears throat> the schedule will kind of look like it'll be our summit. Um, and then Interbike comes pretty quickly after that and then you guys immediately after that so if you yeah. wanted to do it the grand tour that that would be the way to do it yeah yeah at least do the the bike packing summits inner biking it's not as fun <laughs> i have never been so i think this year i'm going to try to definitely come down for your summit and uh, make a, a quick visit just to just to get yeah. it out of my system once and for totally all. yeah exactly cool do so, it once so you got the summit, you got a you got a wedding coming up this year, and yep. uh, <clears throat> you, I, I'm trying to figure this out. So um, you can clarify for me: Have you had your own podcast, or is it through Mountain Bike Radio? So all so the podcast that I've always done is through Mountain Bike Radio. Ben contacted me probably two plus years ago, and he's like, "I, I want a bike packing podcast," and I was like, "Okay, I guess we can do that." Um, and so my first like go at it was by myself and I did like some interviews with racers and people like that. And and then um, I took on Michael Ackerman, who um, he's a good buddy of mine and he uh, funny character. It was, it was a funny show with him. I, I did. I think we did more laughing than um, talking, but um and then he he couldn't do it anymore, and so I kind of just fell by the wayside. And um, and so more recently, I've been just doing it solo again, and I'm trying to um, trying to do it more consistently. But really, I just want to do it once a month, um, just 
just to keep it flowing. And, um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's fun for me to do just to, you know, share my knowledge and, um, and whatnot. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's always been through, uh, through mountain bike radio and Ben Wellnack, who's an awesome guy. So how does that work? Do you, is it a, I guess it's a file you submit to them. Like it, they, they seem to host a lot of different podcasts. I'm just learning about them myself. Yeah, basically I just, yeah, I would send him a podcast or I would send him the, the, um, the audio file and he would just post it up on his website and then it would get posted on iTunes and all these other, um, podcast, uh, kind of distributing channels and, um, yeah. And he does, he does basically most of the work. Um, he'll kind of cut the audio where he, you know, sees necessary. Um, he'll, you know, type in the show notes and, and all that. So yeah, it's, it's pretty easy for me and it's still, you know, pretty fun. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a good resource I'd say too. There's a lot of different podcasts on mountain bike radio that I think, uh, people would enjoy yeah actually um kind of a side but related note they just recently had on uh jasper rider Corey wallace um who i've written a little bit with that that's a really interesting podcast if you want to learn about marathon mountain biking and some really obscure uh racing in nepal and 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 how Corey uh actually bike packs uh as training to to some of those events uh cool yeah you do you know what um what uh, podcast it was on uh what was it there's a bunch of them that yeah had. i want to say the last aid station but I, I can't remember now oh yeah that makes sense was it with mark stover i believe so yeah that, yeah probably yeah that would make sense yeah he's a very good uh podcasting host yes i'm still learning myself so I, i'd have to uh yeah go back through the itunes here yeah. Um, cool. Well, let's uh, move on to one of the original things I think we were going to chat about was the the triple crown of bike packing. So, um, you know, obviously you've got experience uh, in all three events. So the three events being the Arizona Trail Race, uh, the Tour Divide, which many of us know, and the Colorado uh, Trail Race. Uh, so I think what I want to do is, you know, set the tone. You know, we have it's the time of year when people are, are setting goals and uh, quite often they, they will set these as, as kind of one of their, their big goals for the season. So we'll talk about each race a little bit. And then in theory, how, how someone could go about racing all three and, and completing uh, the triple crown. Uh, so first up um, first on the schedule is uh, each year is the Arizona trail race and that's in uh, April. So Neil, you have experience with both um, the 300 and, and 750, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I've done the 300 twice, the 750 last year. That Was that one of your first uh, bikepacking events then? Yeah, the 300 was my first bikepacking event. Um, Oh shoot! I don't even know. I'd have to. I'm going to my website real quick. I think it was 2013, um, and it was right after I did the Colorado Trail. I toured the Colorado Trail in 2012, and then yeah, 2013. Just double checking. Yep, 2013. I did the. Uh, the that was my first bike packing race. Gotcha. So the the Arizona Trail race, the full race. 
750 miles from border to border, so Mexico to uh, Utah, and obviously the, the crown jewel of that being uh, a, a pretty phenomenal hike, uh, phenomenal in air quotes uh, across the Grand Canyon, um, and I believe it's it's bikepacking.net listed as the toughest um, event out there. So it's interesting that it comes uh, first in the season. Um, so, so Neil, may, maybe share a few thoughts on uh, what it's like to race uh, the Arizona Trail Race uh, at the level that you're at. Um, boy, you know, it's it's just it's touring the whole state of Arizona. There's a lot of diversity, which is really kind of what I think draws a lot of people. Um, you know, you're, you're riding through the desert down South and then even, um, 8,000 or 9,000 feet up Mount Lemmon at one point right next to Tucson. And then you drop back down to the desert. Um, and then you slowly make your way up to, um, I forget what the plateau is called, but it gets a lot colder up there and, um, Flagstaff, there's just a ton of diversity. And then, that Grand Canyon. I mean, I would definitely say that that Grand Canyon hike is the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. Um, but I did it to myself because I didn't have a great, um, system to carry my bike. So I'd be interested to hear on if that's, if, if you feel the same way, Ryan, if that was maybe one of the more difficult things that you've ever done, um, maybe off of your bike. Well, it's interesting because I took it on in uh, in late April, so after the race had already finished. And I remember seeing a few of your videos. You were, um, I believe, you were shooting some stuff on your way up in the canyon in the dark, just to kind of yep. keep yourself engaged and yep. talk, talking about how difficult it was. And it's funny you hear it, and all throughout the the ride, I said to myself, Ah, you know, I'll kind of, I'll figure it out when I get there. You know, how complicated can it be? And then you all of a sudden you show up at the rim and you're like, huh? And yeah. you've got a couple of straps. Um, I think you may have tested it out a little bit. I hadn't once tested it out. Oh, really? So, okay. So I was, uh, you know, Jiminy, Jiminy's stuff together right then there on the spot with tourists watching me as I did it. And, you know, the first couple of miles you go, oh, this is, uncom- this is uncomfortable, but, you know, look at this you know, amazing panoramic view that I have. And then within probably five miles, you're going, holy, you know, what have I got, got myself into? So I, I'd very much agree that, um, it was one of the tougher things that I had, um, ever done. Um, and I had the very same thought thinking, you know, I, I wonder if you like really honed in on like a, a dialed in the way to do this, like you probably would make it quite a bit easier on yourself you know if you if you knew how to strap what to what and um carry the load properly and and ultimately like where to place uh padding uh so that that it's somewhat comfortable i think it's it's definitely doable i think it's i think you and i probably just didn't put the maybe enough thought into making that a priority um yeah one of the toughest things i've done so interesting again like it comes in April, first uh, first kind of big event uh, on the the bike packing triple crown, and then and then you have uh, the Tour Divide, which is the second Friday in June. So this year will be um, uh, June June ninth, 
Uh, oh, leaving, that's tough. It yeah, keeps moving up. Yeah, leaving from Banff. So that window. That's a short window now. Yeah. It's shorter. So say the average person, you know, what, what's the average finish time for the, the Arizona Trail Race, would you say? Um, oof, I don't even know. Probably like nine days, yeah. 10 days yeah. for average. Yeah, I was uh, thinking nine, 10 days, then you have to get home and you have to have to recover a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then, and then after that you have to rebox and repack and make sure yep. your bike's working and then get up to, to Banff. And, um, we'll, we'll get into some, you know, this, this can be done and it has been done, but, uh, you know, what, you know, if you were to take on something like that, what, what, what do you think your turnaround would look like in that window? Um, Hmm. As far as like what time wise or just like what, what I would have to do. Yeah. So say you're, you're getting back to, to Crested Butte, uh, I guess maybe middle of April. Yep. You're going to have to get up to Banff, you know, a few days before. So uh, yeah, I would, you know what I would do is I would do more resting than anything. Um, and I've never, ever contemplated doing the triple crown um just because i i i just don't want to i think it's um very uh hard on your body um that being said i know it's doable um many people have done it i remember kurt refsnyder telling me once that he he asked me if i was doing the triple crown after the uh i think after i did the arizona trail last year and he's like you can definitely recover and be in tip-top shape for the tour divide and i was like really because he apparently i think he did it once and he was like yeah i felt great um so yeah basically i would i would want to recover um but at the same time you know pedal um because that's the best thing for your body after a race like uh the arizona trail um you know, even if it is slow, but yeah, pedal and just kind of mentally focus on the next thing. And, um, maybe, you know, three weeks, two weeks before, um, the IT or the, uh, the, um, tour divide, just put in some, you know, some, some intervals, some high cadence reps and, um, shake out the legs. And then, you know, 10 days or a week before, just take it, you know, completely easy and, and and hope for the best yeah the, well so the, there's the bike discussion um or sort of the body discussion making sure that's ready and i, I can yep. see i can see what kurt's saying you know spending more time on, on rest like you're saying and just pedaling it out but then there's also like how did your gear hold up from the arizona trail and you know especially in the high plateaus if you run into uh rain and snow like i did like that just you get bogged down in mud which we'll do a number on your bike, but I'm curious, you know, with you having done both. So I did it both, both on the same bike, um, on hardtail. I added front suspension for the Arizona trail race, but in yeah. your, in your opinion, is the Arizona trail race better raced on like a full suspension bike? Hands down, hands down. There's no way I would ever do that, that route without a um, full suspension bike. I did the the first two years I did the Arizona 300. Um, I did it on a hardtail, and after that second time I did it, I was like, "There's no way I'm ever doing this on a hardtail again." Um, and so, 
I would highly recommend if you guys, if anybody's, you know, putting in the, uh, the time to do the triple crown, I'd highly recommend running two different bikes for, um, for the Arizona trail race and the tour divide. But I mean, at the same time, I know how it is, you know, finances aren't there. Um, you got to ride what you have. So uh, I definitely understand that if you only have a hard tail. Yeah. But so, so in a perfect world, like the, the bike isn't even an issue because in, in a perfect world, you've got two bikes and they're both ready to go, uh, for that event. Swap okay. the wheels over and go. Yeah. yeah. So the tour divide June 9th. So say the average finish time for that is, geez, I don't even know. You know, winning time is now in the 14 day range. So 23. Yeah. 20, 23 average, maybe you think so? I would, 20 yeah 20. maybe yeah i guess it's been going down considerably for sure yeah. yeah um so you know like a month all in for sure mm-hmm. wow so <laughs> colorado trail race uh starts uh, july 23rd i believe so wow just another uh, quick turnaround uh for sure so you you obviously have quite a bit of experience with that um what what kind of bike are, what is ideal for that event um, full, full suspension. Again, I think actually it's more important to have a full suspension bike on the Colorado trail than the Arizona trail. Um, just because mile per mile, there's more chunk. It's slower riding on the Colorado trail. You're dealing with, um, higher altitudes as well. Um, on the, and this is kind of a, 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 a good way of explaining it on the Arizona trail. Last year, I used a Dynamo Hub, and I just got away with it. Um, it worked out just perfectly for me. On the Colorado Trail, there was no way I could have used a Dynamo Hub, um, just because there's so much hike a bike. Um, it just wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be able to charge the things I would need to get charged. So, um, but yeah, the turnaround for the Colorado Trail in the Tour Divide is ridiculous. Basically, once you get that far, I think the best thing you can do is just set a goal of finishing the Colorado trail race. It doesn't matter how slow you go, just finish it because you're that, you know, you're that close, but yeah, the turnaround, I mean, you cannot, you cannot heal your body in time after a 2,800 mile bike race down the continent. So, uh, that's a good segue. Fill us in a little bit about, uh, the dynamics of the Colorado trail race. How, how far is it? Where does it start? Where does it finish? That sort of thing. So I think my GPS got 538 miles, roughly seven or seven, um, 76,000 feet of climbing. Um, you go over a number of different mountain ranges, um, down to Valley floors, um, the high points, 13,500 feet, I believe, in the San Juan Mountains in southwest Colorado. A um, handful of uh, resupply points, including Silverton, um, Princeton Hot Springs, Buena Vista, Leadville, Copper Mountain, Breckenridge, and the Terriol Stage Stop. Um, it's it's the best thing I've ever done. It's uh, I've, I've rode the Colorado Trail four times now um raced it three times and it's it is by far the best bike packing trail in my opinion out there just because it has a little bit of everything like like what why why do you say that 
Yeah, I would say just the the beautiful vistas, um, the amazing single track, the struggles that you'll have along the way with horrible trail <laughs> as well. Um, the wildflowers, definitely doing it in June is, or July is it, it's stunning. I mean, and especially this year, this year is going to be pretty incredible with the amount of snow that Colorado's seen. Um, the wildflowers tend to get a little bit better as, um, as the winter, um, snows melt off. Um, and yeah, there's just kind of something about the Colorado trail that has a spirit about it, similar to the Arizona trail, but the Colorado trail has definitely been around a little bit longer. Um, you know, there's a bunch of culture on it. There's a bunch of hikers that, um, are, you know, that you'll run into. There's, you know, just the towns and people that you see along the way, um, the friends you meet, it's, I think altogether, it's a great experience and, um, and a great trail. And, you know, there's, there's a ton of single track, but there is, you know, some, some wilderness detours that you have to, um, abide by. So you have to go into towns and take, take some pavement and some gravel road, um, which is a nice, uh, nice break from the, the single track riding, but it, in general, it's, it's slow moving and, um, but yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. And, and the other thing you have to deal with is rain. I mean, it happens all the time. Monsoons come in, it's monsoon season in July. So you just have to prepare for rain. Um, and that's, that's definitely not easy. There's, there could be some, some evenings where it starts to rain at like six o'clock on you and, then the sun sets and then you're cold all, all night. So, um, it's definitely, uh, unpredictable, but, uh, just an, uh, a stunning, stunning route. So the best bike packing race, uh, but starts at 4am in the morning. What gives with that? Um, so every year it, um, it rotates from, uh, rotates direction. So this past year it started in Denver and it went to Durango and it started, I think at 6am. Um, but this year it starts in Durango to Denver. And the reason they started at 4am is because it gives people or at least fast people the opportunity to get to Silverton before everything closes on uh, the day the race starts. So I think that, I think that's why Stefan, um, scheduled that for 4 a.m. start cool and then for for those listening um if you want to get a better visual representation um aaron johnson i, I believe you you posted his uh video uh of the yeah. colorado trail race he he actually if i'm thinking of the same guy he did a really good one up for the arizona trail too yeah same exactly guy? okay yep Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a 30 minute feature. If you just go to bikepacker.com and search Colorado trail race video, um, you'll find it. It's definitely grab a coffee or a beer and sit down and watch it. It's, um, inspirational to say the least. Yeah. He, he filmed that while he was racing. Is that right? The majority, majority of it. Yes. He, which is incredible. He had a GoPro and I think he might've had like a, a point and shoot Sony camera with him. Um, yeah, and all of it, most of it was while he was racing, which is incredible. And then he went back um, and got the uh, the drone footage later on um, that summer, last summer. 
Uh, okay, that makes sense. I was wondering about the drone footage. I was like, Buddy's yeah. carrying a drone the whole race. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. But it's really cool that he uses the MTB um, MTB Cast podcast uh, call-ins with those. He got those from Joe Polk, um, and uh, it just makes you know it, it makes the video just awesome. You know, with those those racer call-ins and getting that perspective and you know, their struggles and hearing, hearing their tone of voice on the race. It's, it's pretty cool. So of the three, which would you say is the most difficult mile for mile? Mile for mile Colorado trail race. Weather or just the amount of climbing? Uh, climbing chunk, altitude, weather is a factor. It wasn't really this year, which was why it went so fast. Um, but then obviously after like a close second is the Arizona trail race. The only reason I say that is because there's some pretty long stretches of dirt road on the Arizona trail race. Um, especially after the Arizona 300, um, there's a huge stretch of road. And then, um, and then basically after Flagstaff, there's a big stretch of road. And then at the end of the the race, there's it's everything's kind of still snowy up there. So you take that that paved road to um, uh, whatever that Jacobs that, Lake. Uh, Jacobs Lake. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So do do we actually know of anyone, uh, or is it an urban myth of people that have finished all three in one season? Oh yeah. There's there's a list. Um, Aaron Denberg, Alice Strobna, David Goldberg, Dylan Taylor, Eric Foster, Esther Horani, Forrest Baker, Jay Peterberry, Jill Huckman, John Fairbain, Kurt Rasnider, Kurt Sandiforth, Mark Caminetti, Marshall Bird, Max Morris, Rick Miller, Robert Orr, and Scott Morris. Wow. But no, uh, no Neil Belchenko in the first. Oh wait, those, those were maybe those are the Triple Crown finishers in one year, or in uh, lifetime Triple Crown. Maybe the Triple Crown finishers. Oh, here they are: Jay Peterberry, who has the record at twenty-seven days, eighteen hours, and thirty-three minutes. Um. And then Dylan Taylor, Robert Orr, Alice Drobna, Mark Caminetti, Kurt Sandiforth, Forrest Baker, Eric Foster, Mark Caminetti, and Ian McNabb. And then I think these were these weren't updated. So for this year, I don't know who did them um, in 2017. But uh, but yeah, then the there's the lifetime triple crown. So yeah, my name would be on it, but it's that does not really do the triple crown in one year justice at all. Those guys are pretty incredible. Gotcha. Where, where are you looking at those stats, by the way? Uh, bikepacking that slash triple dash crown dash of dash bikepacking. I, you know, admittedly, I haven't really been on uh, bikepacking.net in geez. I don't even remember the last time that I was on it. I, I, I found it's, it's, it turned into a bit of a overload of, of information and, and not necessarily fact, but just opinion. Yeah. Um, I mean, the forums, that's the only reason you would go. And, and basically that's, yeah, it's just, I've, I find myself not going to it all that often unless it's like a new race. Like I found myself going there 
um, to trying to figure out like Arizona trail race logistics. Um, and yeah, it was helpful for sure. But, um, I, I totally understand where you're coming from on that. Yeah. Is that's, uh, is it Scott that runs that Scott Morris? Scott Morris. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he's, he's also the one behind, uh, Arizona trail. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. He kind of started the Arizona trail, which is crazy. Cool. Small community, yeah. So, so you you come out the end, you finished all three in the season, and like any, <laughs> like any good bike packing event, uh, there are no prizes and no media, and and really no one probably waiting to pick you up at the end of it all. But uh, yeah, good on, good on those people. It's a pretty incredible, incredible feat, and for most of us, you know, just doing one, um, yeah, one would be the bucket list uh, check for yep. sure. Exactly. Cool. So in, in the vein of uh, epic distance events, I, uh, you know, when I was doing a little bit of research this morning, I was reminded that uh, I can't remember your involvement, but uh, there is another huge event uh, in the works called the Trans Am Trail, which is an off-road version. I could be butchering this off-road version of the Trans Am race that we've come to know and inspired to ride uh film and it's launching this year is that right yeah so it's on the trans am trail which is a 100 percent gravel well not 100 percent um it's it's all kind of the majority of its gravel you know well-maintained road um but uh it's called the american trail race and it travels from north carolina to oregon and essentially it's so uh, I think it's 4,800 miles. Um, and yeah, it's going to be the longest self-supported bike packing event on the, in the world right now. Um, yeah. And it's going to start June 1st, um, in North Carolina and the GPX file should be released probably this week. It's actually being held up because of me. I'm trying to figure out, um, some, some bypasses around Telluride and, uh, and in Moab. Um, but yeah, Billy Rice and I are kind of spearheading it along with, um, some other folks, but yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be the biggest race. I mean, that this is all I'm doing this summer is focusing on this race. And that's the only race I'm going to ride just cause it's going to take, basically it should take 30 plus days, um, to do. So yeah, it's going to be pretty wild. Wow. So what kind of interest have you seen so far in that one? I think we have 20 dedicated racers already. Um, a lot of tour dividers want to switch it up. Um, so that's great. Uh, and I think it's going to only grow um, in interest over the next few years, especially once people kind of finish and, um, I guess, talk about it and, and, and write about it and, have more resources for people because, you know, a first year event is always very difficult, especially on a relatively unknown route. You know, you can think about the Trans Am bike race that Mike Hall did the first year. And that was an incredible run for, for him, especially as he still owns the record of that route. Um, but there is a resource on that for, you know, I don't know how many years up leading up to that race with the, with those maps and um, the American uh, or the Adventure Cycling Association. So this is there's really not much on this this route at all. Um, so there's a lot of unknown, and um, it'll be interesting to to watch um, and see how it all unfolds um, June first. 
So June first. So it's it's either this or the divide. You got to choose. Yep, exactly. And that's a lot of we've gotten a lot of flack, or not a lot, but we've gotten some flack about the the race date. But basically, I mean, that's that's the only time it would work before things get too hot in um, in Middle America, and hopefully the snow will melt out by then. Um, at least by the time you get to Colorado. We will see. It'll be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I'm excited. It should be a, another new experience for me and for many others. Well, so it's it's nice to see that uh, Billy wasn't beaten down by the the Route 66. I heard kind of a lot of mixed uh, feelings feelings on that one. But of course, this is a an off road race. Have you had a chance to chat with him much since then? Oh yeah. We had a podcast too on, uh, I interviewed him on the route 66 and, um, on Bikepacker radio. And he definitely had a lot, a uh, lot to say about that. And he said it was a, a very awesome learning experience. And, um, I think we're doing things a little bit different, um, a little bit more underground and, um, a little bit, uh, taking our, our cell, our names out of it a little bit more. Um, we're just trying to focus on, getting a track for people and basically it's all up to them after that. Yeah. I, I was going to say, you know, take a page from uh, Matthew Lee and <laughs> yep. put the site up and then disappear completely. Yep. Uh, cool. You got it. Cool. Well, uh, thanks Neil. We, we covered the gamut. We, we, we talked about the winter cycling and uh, the Iditarod uh, that you've got coming up and uh, bike packer and, and the triple crown and, uh, yeah, just a really great uh, learning or experience. I appreciate uh, the time for sure. Yeah, Ryan, absolutely. It was my pleasure, and I, I definitely uh, definitely had a lot of fun. Let's do it again here soon. Cool. So um, we'll, we'll try to catch up after, uh, uh, after February, but uh, best of luck in, in getting ready for the big race, and uh, I hope all goes well. Thanks. Appreciate it. Okay, have a good one, Neil. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Bye now.